This podcast is sponsored by Baxter Healthcare Corporation. When you choose Baxter for your CRRT program, you're not only choosing true patient-focused treatment with industry-leading CRRT technology, you're also selecting a partner dedicated to optimizing your clinical success in treating patients with acute kidney injury. Our commitment to you starts with a program individualized to your facility's needs and provides complete support every step of the way. For more information, visit us at www.renalacute.com. Baxter Healthcare Corporation has provided funding for this podcast, but all content was developed independently by the presenter. Therefore, the views expressed on the podcast are those of the speaker and should not be attributed to Baxter Healthcare Corporation. For prescription use only, for the safe and proper use of this product, please refer to the operator's manual. The Oxyris Set device is authorized under EUA 200164 Emergency Use Authorization to treat patients 18 years of age or older with confirmed coronavirus disease 2019. COVID-19 infection admitted to the intensive care unit, ICU, with confirmed or imminent respiratory failure in need of blood purification, including use in continuous renal replacement therapy. This device has neither been cleared or approved for the indication to treat patients with COVID-19 infection. The device is authorized only for the duration of the declaration that circumstances exist justifying the authorization of the emergency use of the Xiris set under Section 564B1 of the Act 21 USC 360BBB3B1 unless the authorization is terminated or revoked sooner. Hello and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicines I Critical Care Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Pam Peek. Today, we'll be talking about oxyris and blood purification. I'm joined by Dr. Javier Neira, who is the director of the Acute Care Nephrology and CRRT program and associate professor at the University of Kentucky Medical Center in Lexington, Kentucky. Dr. Neira, welcome. Well, thank you very much for the invitation and happy to be here. Wonderful. Before we start, do you have any disclosures to report? Yes, I have provided a consultation to Baxter, that is the company that provides this type of membrane, Oxiris. And uh, this will be the center topic of this discussion about blood purification. Wonderful. And for all of our listeners, we have learning objectives. First, we're going to be looking at the pathophysiology of COVID-19. Then the use of extracorporeal blood purification in COVID-19 patients. We'll also understand where oxyris can be used and discuss clinical cases of oxyris. Now, why is this podcast needed? The bottom line is it's needed to bring awareness to blood purification strategies with COVID patients using Oxiris. What are the knowledge gaps that this podcast will address? The first is how blood purification can be used in COVID-19 patients. And the second, well, examples of how and when to use Oxiris blood purification. So 
first, let's just start with the pathophysiology of COVID-19 and why we're having this conversation about blood purification in the first place, Dr. Nehra. Yes, so I think these are very challenging times, and we have learned during this pandemic that COVID-19 disease will create a status of systemic inflammation, which can affect multiple organs, including the kidneys. For this reason, the adjuvant therapy of blood purification has gained some recognition, particularly because it can control dysregulation in the immune system and can address removal of cytokines, which uh, in some patients, if applied at the right time window, can be beneficial for their clinical course. Excellent. So talk to us about the current use of extracorporeal blood purification in COVID-19 patients. So we know that uh, there is a group of patients that develop severe COVID-19 that will require ICU care, high requirements of oxygen, and sometimes mechanical ventilation. These patients that are considered severe COVID typically will have also multi-organ failure and systemic inflammation. Among these patients, close to 50% will develop acute kidney injury. So nephrologists are always involved in the care in these patients to evaluate needs of dialysis. In the ICU, we typically perform dialysis in critically ill patients with CRRT, what is uh, continuous renal replacement therapy. In this setting, we can provide different methods of dialysis, including recently expanded hemoabsorption with some specified or newly developed filters. This has broadened the term of blood purification because we can combine different techniques on CRRT, which include diffusion, typically is the same technique commonly done in any patient on hemodialysis, convection, which is exclusive to patients that are receiving CRRT, and in addition to this, the hemoabsorption properties of certain filters like oxiris. Further, there are other filters as well that can have some removal of the pathogens. The field has really exploded in the sense that there are multiple available methods now to provide timely blood purification support to these patients if applied on the ideal time window that is early on in the course of acute illness. Excellent. So we're really addressing cytokine-adsorbing hemofilters, aren't we? Absolutely. So these filters will absorb cytokines. Most of the success in what has been reported thus far has been evident when this treatment is instituted in the first 24 hours, 48 hours of a patient developing multi-organ failure and ICU care. So when you're really talking about this, I think our listeners would really need to understand where oxyris can be used when. So perhaps even an example or two of how you have utilized this particular hemofilter. So oxyris provides an enhanced hemoabsorption property. At the same time, you can continue to provide diffusion and convection according to your prescription. In our institution, we created a protocol in which we use oxyris 
in the first 48, 72 hours of a patient requiring CRRT support due to uh, COVID-19 disease and multi-organ failure. So in these patients, we typically will use it for up to three days, typically one or two filters, because these filters will last, on average, around 36 hours. So we typically will use a couple of these filters in the first three days and early on in the course. So for example, if we have a patient with COVID-19 that has been in a different hospital and transfer already from ICU to ICU after more than a week of advanced organ support, those patients probably have very little benefit of hemoabsorption at that time. So we are not necessarily using Oxiris in these patients. But in a patient that is recently admitted with the compensation from COVID-19 requiring ICU care and multi-organ failure, and the patient is being evaluated for a CRRT, we will prefer to use the Oxiris filter for at least the first three days to provide this enhanced hemoabsorption and therefore try to further support this significant inflammation that these patients develop. Excellent. Fantastic. You provided me with an excellent reference from a blood purification journal, and this is just in June of 2021. It was called Extracorporeal Blood Purification in Moderate and Severe COVID-19 Patients, a Prospective Cohort Study. And here we were really looking at hyperinflammation and coagulopathy. And in this case, the Oxiris cytokine-adsorbing hemofilter was used for extracorporeal blood purification. Tell us a little bit about the study. Yes, so this is a study from Italy that very nicely describes our experience with patients that require CRRT and use Oxiris. These patients had COVID-19, and they described the clinical course of these patients, which was significantly improved if you assess markers of organ failure and, for example, scores of critical illness like the SOFA scores, which improved significantly when the patients received the treatment. They use a control group that was a historical control group, and that's why we need to, of course, evaluate this data with caution because these were not, this is observational data, not a randomized control trial. So the control group was a historical, similarly sick group in which the, the trajectory of the clinical course was significantly different, so was worse when the patients did not receive this enhanced hemoabsorption. So this suggests so far that perhaps this enhanced hemoabsorption, these filters, can provide some benefit in these patients. The authors mention it very clearly that when it's applied early on in the course of acute illness, multi-organ failure. Now, do we have data to support that these patients have better survival? Still, we do not have this type of data of hard outcomes to suggest that the use of this filter should be standardized. But the preliminary observational data suggests that these patients have a better clinical course when they receive this treatment early on. And the data is evolving. I'm aware some clinical trials are ongoing. Despite we're focusing on COVID-19 support right now, because that is in the U.S. the emergency use authorization that we have for these filters. So this concept of hemoabsorption is not new. It's just we have been pushed during this pandemic to their rapid use because there may be a phenotype of patients that can benefit from it. 
Our challenge, of course, is to identify who are these patients, confirm this with clinical data, and also show that when we provide this enhanced treatment to this particular subphenotype of patients, we can improve clinical outcomes. As of now, data is evolving, but still, as I mentioned, the controls are typically historical controls, and there are no randomized clinical trials to support its standardized use. Fantastic. This is really, really helpful. And in this one particular study, there was a decrease in C-reactive protein and control of IL-6 and procalcitonin. I assume all of that was clinically relevant. Is that correct? Absolutely, yes. The markers of inflammation that you mentioned clearly decrease in the first day after the initiation of the treatment. So I don't think there are doubts that this hemoabsorption can remove some of these cytokines. The question is, is this removal, which is non-selective, can be beneficial for the patients in the sense that we can improve clinical outcomes? So the counter-argument to this is, yes, we are removing inflammatory markers that are not good for the patient. But at the same time, because this, this is non-selective hemoabsorption, we are removing also anti-inflammatory cytokines that could be beneficial for the patient. So that's why the key question is, at what time this non-selective enhanced hemoabsorption and removal of these cytokines is beneficial? So the clinical trial that it's planned or it's ongoing certainly it's going to be very careful to design the timing of the intervention and therefore hopefully the best chances for success. Excellent. Now, in your program at the University of Kentucky, have you noticed any difference between what we call sort of the alpha COVID and now the Delta, which of course now is a predominant variant in the United States. We already know that Delta is uh, far more contagious, but is it also associated with some nuances here as we speak about blood purification in uh, severe COVID-19 patients? Yeah, that's a very good question. And we are in a small search here in Lexington, Kentucky. So we are seeing more cases with the Delta variant, very likely. The patients are different, I would say. In the past, uh, we used to see patients that were typically in the ICU, the patients that were older with comorbidities that were very susceptible to uh, having this viral infection and multi-organ failure. These days, we're seeing a significant number of patients that are younger, without major comorbidities, even uh, pregnant women, that most of them, I would say more than 95% of them, were not vaccinated. And it's a little bit a different phenotype. Now, when these patients that are younger and with less comorbidity develop multi-organ failure, they are extremely sick. That's why at this stage of uh, severity of illness, the mortality is, of course, still being evaluated, but seems to be higher than what we saw in the past. That was already high. So that's why these therapies of uh, hemoperfusion sometimes become even more relevant because these are patients that if we really can support them during this acute process, they have some chance to survive and to recover organ function. We have been a little bit busier, I would say, from the nephroid perspective, 
with CRRT and blood purification. In the past, we, when we had patients that their frailty scores were high, there were more involvement of early conservative management, palliative care. But here, because we have patients that are younger, they have young families, there is a lot of effort to try to provide them all the support we can. It's definitely a different phenotype of patients and probably challenging for the system again. This, needless to say, is greatly worrisome, especially since it's a different demographic and a surprise, I think, to many, certainly to our wonderful colleagues in critical care, to see such young people. I have another question for you that's related to this, and that is we're starting to see breakthrough cases of people who have been fully vaccinated, and yet they have contracted a COVID-19, one would assume, the Delta variant. Are these people as sick? Are they also coming to the ICU? We don't see these patients that much in the ICU unless they are susceptible, they are immunocompromised, or they have really some comorbidity that put them at higher risk. Most of the patients I have seen in the last week, they were all of them were not vaccinated and did not have any immunocompromised disease or they did not have major comorbidity. So I think that it's clear, and I reviewed some data from Israel the other day that very unlikely somebody that had been vaccinated reached the ICU level. Even when they are hospitalized, most of them are not requiring ICU care. It's reflective of what I saw at least last week in, in our institution when I was on service in the ICU. So again, I mean, I use this platform and this conversation to encourage the population to to get the vaccines and certainly to wear a mask because you don't want to be exposed to what we are discussing right now, blood purification. When you get to this level, your mortality rates or your chances of dying are really high. So I think we should try to use all platforms to encourage the population to be confident with science, get the vaccine, and hopefully soon we're going to have some schemes of boosters for the more susceptible patients and also for the more exposed population like healthcare workers. That is absolutely one of the best ways to end this podcast. I mean, such words of wisdom, especially from you, Dr. Neira, as you're surrounded by this on a daily basis. And it's just so terribly important to follow science and certainly the words of experts like yourself. Do you have any final comment to your peers out there who are listening in and learning all about Oxiris and blood purification and just, as it were, blood purification and COVID-19 patients? Just last word of wisdom. Well, I need to say that uh, blood purification is an old concept. These techniques have been developed and evaluated before, they are more relevant these days because of the current pandemic and the necessity of trying everything we have to really support these patients that are critically ill. Now, if we can see the light or the half full glass of this pandemic, it has helped to put some support from the private sector, from the NIH and from different sources into developing more knowledge about these blood purification techniques. This could enhance the way we not only support COVID patients right now, but in the future we support patients that are 
in septic shock for different reasons. So we should be uh, optimistic to see these therapies of potential benefit. We should not be nihilistic to say like there is no robust evidence because I always tell people we are developing the evidence. So our observations, developing our experience with these techniques are going to help to really find that group of patients that could benefit from it. I just want to emphasize these therapies may not help every patient that is critically ill with multi-organ failure in the ICU, but it could help, in my view, some patients. We need more robust data to provide our colleagues at any hospital in the world like better standardization of this type of care. What I can say as of now, we have heavily used it for the last year and a half. We have not encountered adverse events. It uh, requires a little bit of preparation different to the standard filters, that is the priming with heparin, saline with heparin. But other than that, the performance of the machine is very comparable. Despite enhanced hemoabsorption, you will expect maybe more clotting. So from that perspective, you should be comfortable if you have a program that can implement a new filter to use it. Now, my recommendation as of now with my assessment of the data is to use it early on in the course of acute illness and multi-organ failure and carefully evaluate the patients and see what type of patients in your experience you are seeing that could benefit the most. The other recommendation I have is that perhaps it's not needed to be used beyond three days because the major advantage is early on in this removal of cytokines. So I think we should all work together. This is a great opportunity to have this conversation with a great host and, of course, a great platform of the Society of Critical Care Medicine. So I'm always happy to interact with colleagues and uh, let's keep in touch, let's keep learning together and let's keep beating this virus. And finally, I will re-emphasize, please get the vaccine and wear a mask, show your care for humanity, just taking care of the person next to you. And that's how you do that with the vaccine and a mask. Fantastic. Boy, what an ending. I'm convinced, to say the least. Thank you so much, everyone. We have been speaking with Dr. Javier Neira, and he is the Director of Acute Care Nephrology and CRRT Program and Associate Professor at the University of Kentucky Medical Center in Lexington, Kentucky. And with this, we conclude another edition of the Eye Critical Care Podcast. For the Eye Critical Care Podcast, I'm Dr. Pam Peek. This podcast is sponsored by Baxter Healthcare Corporation. When you choose Baxter for your CRRT program, you're not only choosing true patient-focused treatment with industry-leading CRRT technology, you're also selecting a partner dedicated to optimizing your clinical success in treating patients with acute kidney injury. Our commitment to you starts with a program individualized to your facility's needs and provides complete support every step of the way. For more information, visit us at www.renalacute.com. Baxter Healthcare Corporation has provided funding for this podcast but all content was developed independently by the presenter. Therefore, the views expressed on the podcast are those of the speaker and should not be attributed to Baxter Healthcare Corporation. 
For prescription use only, for the safe and proper use of this product, please refer to the operator's manual. The Oxyris Set device is authorized under EUA 200164 Emergency Use Authorization to treat patients 18 years of age or older with confirmed coronavirus disease 2019, COVID-19 infection admitted to the intensive care unit, ICU, with confirmed or imminent respiratory failure in need of blood purification, including use in continuous renal replacement therapy. This device has neither been cleared or approved for the indication to treat patients with COVID-19 19 infection. The device is authorized only for the duration of the declaration that circumstances exist justifying the authorization of the emergency use of the Oxyris set under Section 564B1 of the Act 21 USC 360BBB3B1 unless the authorization is terminated or revoked sooner. Pamela M. Peak, MD, MPH, FACP, FACSM is a nationally renowned physician, scientist, expert, and thought leader in the field of medicine. Dr. Peake is a Pew Foundation scholar in nutrition and metabolism, assistant professor of medicine at the University of Maryland, holds dual master's degrees in public health and policy, and is a fellow of both the American College of Physicians and the American College of Sports Medicine. Dr. Peake has been named one of America's top physicians by the Consumers Research Council of America. She is a regular in-studio medical commentator for the national networks and an acclaimed TEDx presenter and national keynote speaker. Dr. Peek is a three-time New York Times best-selling author and is a science and health advisor for Apple. The Society of Critical Care Medicine podcast is the copyrighted material of the Society of Critical Care Medicine. All rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion or endorsement on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, its officers, volunteers, or members, or that of the podcast commercial supporter.